We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike and a special guest. Lakers completed the 2023 NBA draft, drafting Jalen hood Shafino, and then moving up from 47 uh, to 40 and drafting Maxwell Lewis, picked up Colin Castleton, and then Demoy Hodge as two-way contracts. And so we're going to talk about that today. And to talk about the first round pick, uh, Jalen hood Shafino, we have uh, an old buddy. Uh, it's, it's great to have you on, man. This is first time as a guest. And he's the host of Locked on Hoosiers and watched hood Shafino on a day-to-day basis, which I think is a totally different experience than watching a guy on highlights or scouting reports as you, right after your favorite team drafted him. So, uh, Jacob Rude, welcome to the show, man. Yeah, I'm excited to be on. I uh, I was saying beforehand, I didn't really allow myself to think that Jalen was going to go to the Lakers, so it's been a, a wave of excitement in the kind of hours since he's been drafted by him. That's awesome, man. And yeah, we're going to, let's. so let's get into what kind of player he is, right? Uh, tell us about just whatever we don't know that you think we should know. Yeah, he is a, a fun player to watch, a very smooth player to watch, I, I think is always the, the word I thought... Um, watching his game just kind of the the control he plays with the he never really gets sped up he was in a uh, a system at IU that is going to be far different than the one he'll be at in the NBA they, they ran a lot of pick and roll and I'm sure people will see a lot of that when you're looking at those highlight tapes on YouTube but it was a roster that wasn't modern at all uh, they they ran a Trace Jackson Davis is a is a great role big man, but then they had another kind of traditional power forward out there, and then they had a small forward that was the only shooter on the floor at basically all times, and a shooting guard that was just kind of this slasher cutter. So a lot of times when you watch him, there's five guys in the paint or right around yep. the paint there, and there's not a lot of uh, video of him getting to the rim because the rim was a very crowded place uh, <laughs> or last season. So in some senses, he he did run a lot of pick and roll, but like you're not going to see very many clips of him kicking it out to a three point shooter or anything like that uh, from last season. But 
it did allow him to to show what I think is his greatest strength, which is his mid-range shooting. And it is it's not just the mid-range shooting. I think it's the ways he can kind of score. He has a nice floater as well. Like everything between the three-point line and the rim is really good for him. There's not a lot of tape of him kind of finishing at the rim. And then uh, obviously the the three-point shot's a little bit streaky, as I'm sure we'll talk about. But he he really excels uh, in the pick and roll. He can get to his spots. If you're playing a drop coverage against him, he can burn him. He can burn you. And he did that a number of times last season. And I think that's where he's going to kind of make his earn his minutes next season early on. It's his ability to score in the mid-range and defensively. He's a, a really strong point of attack defender that uh, I think that'll allow him to stay on the court, even if maybe his offense is struggling at times. Um, there were times he, I mean, he is a freshman. He he isn't as good off the ball, and there were times that focus waned really on both sides of the court. But between his defense and his mid-range scoring, uh, those are his two biggest strengths that I think are going to allow him to contribute early on. Yeah, I know nothing about him. He was one of the guys, though, that Pete tipped me to sort of early on in the draft process as a guy that might be in the range of where the Lakers were were going to pick. So I so I read up on him some and and watched a little bit of him. And the things that pop to me and when I read about him, the things that stand out to me are his defensive potential and his general size at guard. We talked a lot about the Lakers last season as being they had so many small guards to start the season, like Kendrick Nunn and Patrick Beverly and Dennis Schroeder. And, and all of these guys were in position to be rotation players, right? Some at of the them guard were playing spot. small forward. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and now, like, we'll see what happens with D'Lo, but, but D'Lo's a big guard. Austin Reeves is a big guard. And now JHS is a big guard. And that ability to like throw out multiple big guard lineups and with Hood Shafino being a guy who can also defend at uh, the point of attack. I'm just interested in his evolution as a defensive player, first and foremost, because I know that you said that his mid-range game offensively might lead to um, him being able to, to play minutes. But Mike, my question is more defense because I think most head coaches, if a young guy is going to play at all, it's going to be because he competes defensively. Yeah, that's what the word is. Uh, I mean, he said it. Rob Palinka said it. I had heard that in the last couple of weeks. I think that, you know, when you talk to a couple of, of the scouts and, and I'm going to filter this back to get uh, Jacob's impression from actually watching him more um, up close and personal. He he's an interesting talent in that he's an all around player. In fact, that's when I asked him on the conference call, Hey, how would you describe yourself? That's literally what he said. First, I'm an all around player. Um, he, he's a big guard scores at three levels. He feels, he thinks he's unselfish, um, thinks he can guard any position. Uh, he's and, and then kind of mirroring in what Rob Palinka said is that he's a guy that's thought he was going to be a professional for a little while now. And, and every, that's kind of one of the reasons he went to Indiana um, because Mike Woodson was there and he knew that he of course was, uh, was in the NBA for a long time. He's been on a diet plan for a while. He's been on a strength plan for a while. Like he's he's not somebody that went to college and then and then kind of played a little bit and then thought, oh, maybe this is what I'll do. Um, he's been very directly focused on what can I do to become an NBA player. Um, and I think that's a good thing. The question then, Jacob, is is sort of 
you know, what, how is his athleticism going to be relative to NBA players? How is that heightened size going to be um, when most everybody else has that, that sort of size and that strength? Like what are the skills that he has that still needs some honing um, if he's probably not going to be featured in screen roll action uh, as if he's coming in for the Lakers next year, right? Uh, they've got other guys that are going to be getting those types of reps. Um, is he a player that they can send to the G League a couple of times just to get some of those reps if he's not in that initial rotation? So I'm that I'm already not to skip past right everything that we've seen, but I'm I'm sort of thinking how does all this stuff translate? And you hinted at it, Jacob, but I wanted to follow up uh, and see what you would you would get from that sort of package that was presented on draft night last night at the facility. Yeah, to your point about him being NBA ready for a while, he came from Montverde. And, I mean, that's a place that has guys getting ready for the NBA very early on. He, he's he um, been on those diet, those strength plans since before he came to IU. His wingspan measured at the Combine was uh, 6'10". It was six inches like bigger than his height. So he has a size and the length uh, to Darius's point as well. But... Um, there is going to be some adjustment because he came to IU expected to play a little bit more as a shooting guard. And then IU's point guard got hurt, uh, early on in the season and they gave him the ball after that. And there was a little bit of an adjustment period. And then once it really got into like the conference season, the big 10 season, he kind of took off, but the questions even coming into IU and they're going to be the same coming into the Lakers is that three point shot, uh, because they're. There isn't a ton of uh, like spot up shooting. If he is going to play off the ball, there isn't a lot of that. Like there isn't a lot of that on tape. He had the ball in his hands a lot last season, so uh, that's going to be, I think, the biggest adjustment is that three point shot and whether it can become a consistent uh, weapon for him because he he was very streaky when it comes to three point shooting. And I mean, it says 33% on his uh, three point percentage, but he had three games where it was like 13, like it was almost half of his three pointers came in three games. So outside of that, it was um, a big struggle for him. And he's the type of guy that he has an idea of like the shots he wants, the shots he's good at, the shots he can get. And even on nights when they aren't falling, he's still going to go to those same spots. So it will lead to games where he's, you know, 12 of 15 and goes off. But then it'll lead to games where he's one of 14, like he was at one point. And the shots didn't really change in terms of where he was getting them. It was just they weren't going in, but he was still getting to the same spots. So there's going to be an adjustment there, just kind of the consistency with his jumper. And I wouldn't be surprised if there might be some time where he goes down to the G league just to try to get those reps and have more in-game action where he is shooting, whether it's the three pointer or whether getting to the rim as well, because I think that's going to be another kind of big adjustment. I think he showed a lot like in transition and there were brief moments where he showed that he can finish at the rim, but it was so few and far between that it's going to be something he's going to have to do more of and show more of and just kind of get those reps. So I think there's a lot of things that are going to be – maybe not a lot of things. There, there are going to be notable things that he's going to have to adjust to, but that, that comes with being in an NBA offense and not – I mean, Mike Woodson ran a lot of NBA type of actions, whether dribble handoffs, whether uh, he ran a lot of sets and things like that, some floppy action that 
uh, instead of having Jalen Hutchifino run off a screen and shoot a three-pointer, he just kind of moved it three feet closer to the rim, and it was running off a screen and and shooting a mid-range jumper instead. So he's got some of that, and that can work as well. But there is going to be a, a bit of an adjustment there too. Yeah, I see him as an on-ball player pretty strongly at this point of his career. Now, even an action like that, like you just described, the play is being run for him to have the ball in his hands, right? And so I think to some degree that if we draft him and then say, okay, you've got to be this off-ball player, he's never going to crack the rotation, right? Uh, Because there are going to be other guys who do that better. But there's also that point of on the ball too, right? Like, I want Austin Reeves to run some second units, right? Like D'Angelo Russell, if he's back, right? Like that, that is, there are going to be guys that are ahead of him in that pecking order. And so that's why I think Mike's setup of like some G League reps, like I think putting him in a position to succeed means giving him the ball and allowing, like, I really like him as a passer, Jacob, like his rhythm and feel on the pick and roll. Like he's got the rhythm of a pick and roll down really well. And then that really great mid range game. There's, there's a lot to like there. And I'm super curious to see him in better NBA spacing because even Woodson, Woodson can run all the NBA sets in action that he wants. If the personnel is from a couple of decades ago in terms <laughs> yeah. of what the overall structure of the lineups are, like it doesn't matter, right? Like it's how the defense reacts to you is dependent upon what your skill set is. And so that's so I I think there is a lot there and as a big physical type of one. That's the thing that stood out to me on both ends of the floor is that he's a better on-ball player than off-ball and that's on the defensive end too. So that's kind of what I see, Jacob, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on leveraging his physicality going forward because I see him as a, a physical and crafty player, but it's hard to be the most physical guy on the court when you're 20 and the guys across from you are 25 years old. It's hard to be the craftiest guy when you're 20 and the guys across from you are 25. And so he's the type of guy that I could see getting off to a slow start because the things that he's good at relative to the competition like that's one of the big leaps in going to the nba so talk to me about that idea of him as a power one type of type of thing yeah he started a bit slow at iu as well so i wouldn't be surprised if that there was a bit of an adjustment period and like i said it it, i mean it actually might apply to the lakers as well he wasn't entirely on the ball to start uh his time with iu and eventually once he got more on ball reps that changed he he is a very physical player but he also knows how to use that physicality as well he's really good about putting guys in jail coming off screens and keeping them behind him and then I mean that speaks to your point about just knowing kind of how to run a pick and roll and being comfortable in it he he's done it a ton he did that a fair amount at Montverde as well and then to do it at IU he has a ton of reps with that so he knows the various ways that defenses are going to react to him he knows how to get guys behind him and keep them behind him. And he's a, a really good passer to a lob threat. I mean, Trace Jackson Davis was a really good lob threat in a, a, a rolling big man last season. So if there are going to be minutes where he's playing with Anthony Davis, um, I, I think that would work for, for both of them. To uh, Jalen is really good about finding guys like that but to his physicality yeah he can he leveraged that last season he is a bigger guy and um he knows how to use his body in ways to take advantage of that and that's a I think a big thing because just because you are big doesn't mean you know how to play big 
and he knows how to play bigger with his size. He's a a good rebounder. I don't know what he ended up averaging last season. I think it was right around four rebounds a game, but he's good at at coming down and helping on the glass and using some of that wingspan and size to to get those long rebounds as well. And then defensively too, I mean, like you said, he he's someone that is best on the ball. Uh, he has a size. He he got into some trouble at times being a little too eager to try to come away with steals. And I, I wonder how much he'll uh, try to do that at the NBA level. It was something he, he got into foul trouble a fair amount. And there were some discussions Mike Woodson had with him because he was the only point guard we had. And it became less and less of a problem as the season went along. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see if that's an adjustment there as well, but he has that, that wingspan and that size to force opponents to work a little bit. And there's going to be an adjustment. Like you said, Uh, he's a 20 year old coming up against guys who have done this for quite a while in the NBA, but the, the tools are there and, and he's shown some of that ability to, to be a guy that can cause some havoc on the defensive end. And so I think on both ends of the floor, he knows how to use that size and he he is a bigger guy, but he, he spent a lot of time being the bigger guy and knowing how to kind of get the best out of that. I want to return to this idea of passing, passing to skill set that I really look for in every player. (laughs) And if, like if you can pass the ball well, I think it is a great avatar for the idea of like feel for the game and understanding. And when a guy can't pass, then that tells me a fair amount about like you're probably going to slide down my list of favorite guys. So we've been talking about Jalen as more of an on-ball player and his presence as a passer. But the draft is all about projections and we're talking about projecting a fair amount here. How do you project his passing as being an integral skill as an off-ball worker, because just like you said, he's not going to have the ball a lot, but passing feel doesn't have to be, like when we talk about off-ball play, it's like, oh, are you a spot-up shooter? Can you cut? But passing is often a a key trait of a connecting player. And, and, And so how do you see him potentially being as a connecting player in lineups and leveraging his passing and his size as a guy who is working off of the ball as well, or even like projecting his passing as like a short roll guy who is coming to set screens for a bigger player like LeBron, or there's so many ways that passing can come into play. Can you talk a little bit about how you might see that translating in other ways? He has a a really good feel for the game. It's not really like a quantifiable thing, but it's just he seems to know what needs to be done. And he may not be able to do it, but uh, he he seems to to have a sense of the right play to make. And so there aren't a lot of like I was saying earlier, there there isn't a lot of tape of him being a, a connecting player just because the ball was in his hands. But he has a he's a high IQ player. And he he made a lot of good reads in the pick and roll. And it wasn't just simply getting downhill and throwing a lob. It was, oh, the defense has come out and hedged or doubled. Here's this quick little pass to a short roll. Or it's uh, him and Trace had really good chemistry as pick and roll guys. And he knew the various types of passes to make. So kind of taking that and, and projecting a little bit, he he can make a number of types of passes. And I think he reads the game well. 
it'll be reading it a little bit differently as a, as a connecting player and off the ball a little bit, but he's been in a lot of situations and he can read that game, read the game well enough that I, I think he can, he can work well as a connecting player with his passing because, uh, He's just a really kind of high IQ player uh, on both ends of the floor. There, there weren't a lot of situations where he seemed like he didn't know what was going on on, on the offensive yeah. end of the floor. He was a uh, he seemed to have, have seen pretty much everything defenses were going to throw at him. So uh, he never really gets sped up, and he he is always kind of playing at this uh, same speed. So. Um, there, like I said, there there isn't a lot of tape on him being a connecting player, but I think everything I I saw from him last season would lead me to believe that I don't think he'll have any issues in that regard. And I'd be interested to see how it would look with uh with him as a short roll guy and a LeBron pick and roll because I I mean he has the IQ to do it, but that certainly wasn't anything that he did last season. So it it, it is interesting to see, but I think his, his kind of IQ and his uh, ability to read the game will help him kind of play in a number of different scenarios. Jacob just wanted to zoom out a little bit and what's your opinion of him just in terms of do you enjoy watching him? Were you glad he was on your college team? You know, <laughs> mm-hmm. how like is he somebody just basic right that you're that if if that also happens to be your NBA team you're like, "Yes, yeah, that's the kind of guy that I want to have on the team." Yeah, I was super excited uh, to to see him uh, drafted by the Lakers. He's a a great person, however much that kind of matters. He's a great character. When, I mean, th- this doesn't necessarily apply to the Lakers, but it's kind of a story of, of the character he has in that he declared for the draft pretty much right away. Everybody knew he was a one-and-done and he was gone. But the way kind of college basketball works now with the transfer portal and everything – he was gone. He was doing pre-draft workouts. I think he was in LA doing pre-draft workouts. And at the same time was calling uh, kids in the transfer portal to recruit them to IU. And even though he was gone, he was done. He had moved on. So he's kind of a, a great character. He's a, a, a great, he's very enjoyable to watch. And I think um, Lakers fans will like just watching him play, just the smoothness with which he plays with, and the the speed with which he plays with. He's a he's a, a a fun player to watch operate, no matter if it's on the ball, off the ball, whatever the the situation would be. So, um, I, I was super excited to watch him on IU last season. I'd kind of written off that. All right, I got to watch him for a season on my favorite team, and then. He cut, he gets drafted to the Lakers, so I'm mean, I'm super excited to to continue to get to watch him on the Lakers this season. Um, a great person, a, a Kobe fan. He he revealed last night as well. So uh, he I'm sure Lakers fans will find it pretty easy to root for him. Jacob, this was fantastic. Thanks for your insights. I think we uh, got a lot of knowledge out of out of uh, hearing what you had to say. Where can Laker fans find your work? Yeah, I uh, you can follow me over at Twitter at Jacob Rude, and then I, I write for Silver Screen and Roll. So uh, I'm content up there all the time, and so any anything you guys want to see about the Lakers, I have you covered. All right, let's take a break, and when we come back, we'll talk more draft. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. All right, guys, another draft night in the books. Uh, one of the busier ones in terms of actually drafting players the Lakers have had in a while. Mike, you were on the ground. You're always talking to folks in the organization. What would be your summary of uh, NBA draft 2023? Yeah, so we haven't gotten into Maxwell Lewis much yet. Uh, and I know that earlier that day, right, the Lakers had agreed to move up uh, and it sounds like paid a substantial figure to do so. And they wouldn't have done that unless there was a specific person or two, right? There, there may have been somebody else that was right there, right? That they might have liked, but I think Lewis was the one that they wanted. Um, and he's somebody that I'm still sort of diving in in terms of tape on, but have talked to the scouts and they were excited about that. And then they were excited about the two ways. But to, to just continue the JHS combo for a minute, I think that as that we had talked the last couple of weeks about what are the Lakers likely to do? You know, is there somebody out there that could surface in a trade? And my conversations all along, and I probably downplayed this some on the pod, but was just that there were at least two guys that they really liked and that they thought one of whom would be there. Um, and, you know, Hood Jafino was one of them. The, the other yep. one went, you know, earlier uh, and I think had a chance to go down there. But it's always going to be like that in the draft, right? Because you're when you're making a board one through 60, there's not usually just one guy that you that you want. But if you can if there's a couple that are going to fit the needs, uh, then great. And, you know, I think that it at 17 and at, for somebody that was a one and done and is 20 years old, it gets into that a little bit like Christie last year, although he was later. He was 35. But, you know, what how much can this guy play versus what the expectation is going to be? 
um, for a near lottery pick, right? Three picks past the lottery. And I'm always one to, to try and make sure that that expectation um, isn't mm-hmm. ridiculous like it got even for number two picks, which we saw with D'Angelo Russell, which we then saw mm-hmm. with Brandon Ingram. We even saw to an extent with Julius Randle, though he got hurt uh, and missed almost his entire rookie year. So like I'm more looking at Huchifino as how he fits into what's now they're becoming a little bit of a young core that hasn't been there as much uh, since the Lakers got Anthony Davis and have just sort of needed guys to play with the exception being a you know, four year college player who also sat out a year in the transfer in the transfer portal in Austin Reeves, you know, who was ready to play um, once he once he actually got in or Alex Caruso, who also was ready to play, you know, who had played in college longer, was more mature, had more chance to work out his game. Huchifino is not there yet. It, it, to me, it's more like a Taylor Horton Tucker, um, you know, in some senses. So I, I just think that while there's excitement Internally, all the talent, we just talked about it with Jacob. It's also important to remember, you know, that this type of player does not usually come in and look awesome um, right away against (laughs) NBA players uh, from day one, even though he's, you know, he's got a better chance than some because of his size, his physicality, you know, if he's running screen roll with AD, like that, that, that kind of thing, um, there are going to be flashes. I just want to try and, and, uh, you know, set the expectation a little bit. It's always good to temper expectations. I think with with young players in general, I will say and and we I think Jacob covered a lot of ground with this, but everyone looks great in their highlights. Yeah, I think that there are obviously things that he's going to need to work on. I was reading some stats about JHS and his pull up three was much better than his catch and shoot three. That um, goes with the whole like on ball player type. Yeah, of thing. Like he's used to having player. the ball. Yeah. Yeah, the thing I will say about the Lakers, though, is that a lot of guys do get ball handling chances, right? The Lakers played successful three-guard lineups a fair amount, um, and that wasn't just out of necessity because their roster was built like that. It was also because like there's actually a lot of opportunities to run second-side actions, and guys get those reps even if they're not the primary guy. And Dennis got a ton of chances to handle the ball even if he was stashed in the corner. And so while I'm totally on board with with what you're saying, Mike, a guy who shows polish as a pick-and-roll player and is a good mid-range shooter, that guy has value in every NBA offense and yes. I'll be interested to see how that value translates at the NBA level right away and that's where the expectation stuff does need to be tempered but the idea of how his skill set translates to a Lakers team I know that there are questions about fit Pete mm-hmm. and like oh well he's an on-ball player going to a team with a bunch of on-ball players and is he going to get the reps and this this that and the other but the things he's good at he can do those things and if you let him it's an interesting story there. He is a pick and roll player and the Lakers run a pick and roll offense with pick and roll personnel. And so that's something that's different from his college experience in that what he's good at, the surrounding talent and system actually complements that. And one of the things that I'm excited about just in a long-term uh, sense too is he's really good from mid-range and we have an un- unusual number of guys in Austin, Rui, and now JHS that like kick ass in that part of the game. And that's super important if you want to do anything in the playoffs. That's part of it too, that we we will forget the lessons of the playoffs the further away they get from us, right? But that big physical type of guy, I like that positional size idea that Bert Cull always talks about, Mike, like 
the core of him and Austin and Max, not in terms of the core of the overall team, but just like guards that can have success in the playoffs and that type of archetype that can be two-way type of guys. I'm really excited about that, like one, two, three type of spot. Yeah. So I want to try to thread a needle between what I said before and, and kind of what Darius was talking about with how ready is this guy to play now and what the Lakers system is and where he fits. And, and Pete, what you just referred to with some of the areas on the floor that he can succeed from. Um, I think that the Lakers drafting philosophy and a lot of this is coming from Jesse Buss, who's now you know been the director of scouting since 2013 and certainly Rob coming in in 2017 and embracing this there. It's mostly about talent and where they think this guy could ultimately get as a player and much less about at this stage, especially at this age. How does this player fit in with, you know, LeBron and AD in the in the surrounding talent? Uh, you just mm-hmm. it's a it's a large roster uh, in terms of just taking a guy specifically for fit. And when you have a versatile player like JHS that can do a lot of different things, yes, it's easy to make a basketball argument about, oh, yeah, they took him because of the fit here. And this is how we'll fit with this player. Like, sure, that that's all true. They they drafted him because they think that at that spot, he has the best chance to be a real player and a real asset in the future. Um, and so I just wanted to make sure to emphasize that point. Now we can we can now see what the fit is, you know, specifically. But like Austin Reeves, they may not have taken if they were just looking for fit um, when they when they got him at that spot. And even though he was undrafted, they didn't draft him like there. He as he as he then showed his skills from an NBA's perspective at the summer league and then in the fall. That's when you start to think as the coach, the coach starts to think where he can fit in. That's not as much Rob or Jesse's job, like when they're making a pick like that. I, I think that that's spot on. I do think that fit matters, though, to enough of a degree to factor it in. And the the best analogy I could give is the NFL. In the NFL, there's the idea of like the 4-3 defensive end versus the 3-4 defensive end, the 4-3 linebacker versus the 3-4 type of outside linebacker, right? And I think that that, ex- that same principle exists in basketball as well. And so this is a pick-and-roll offense. This four-out style is intended to facilitate maximal pick and roll opportunities and success. And so that idea that, oh, the Lakers have a bunch of other ball handlers, that is entirely the point, right? That idea that at some point there's going to be somebody on the court where we've got three guys. It's Austin and Dennis and D'Lo, right? This was very successful against the Warriors, less so against the the Denver Nuggets, right? But that idea of having multiple ball handlers that can do a little bit of this and a little bit of that, but if the ball gets swung to them, they can, that can absolutely flow into a ball screen from any place on the floor. And then having guys that have the field to read in multiple situations, that's going to be super important with JHS is that like if the ball gets swung to him and they're closing out to him, now that's the big key. He's got to be able to actually knock down enough shots to get them to do that. But if he can do that, like D, he's going to be that guy that reads those connecting type of situations. And he throws these sweet, like look away passes and just like passes really well with both hands. Like he's going to whip something across court with his left hand, like the passing type of skill I'm really excited about with this team. No, me as well. And so let's transition for a quick second to some of the other guys that Lakers got specifically Maxwell Lewis, because that idea of now this is a guy who's going to get a bunch of G League reps. And again, everyone looks good in their highlights when he's looking like some 2023 version of Sleepy Floyd. I'm like, oh, damn, look, like, look at this guy. He's sure. like, he, he's up here elevating and finishing it at the basket and knocking down step back threes and, and just looking like like a player. But 
this is another guy whose skill set really does seem to fit with what the Lakers do well and a guy who can catch and shoot. Right. And so you're talking about shot creators and guys who run pick and rolls. Well, an important piece of running pick and roll is the guy who's spaced to the opposite corner. Max Christie's going to get a yep. lot of opportunities like this. The guy who is then going to get spot up opportunities or opportunities to attack a closeout and then finish at the basket. We just saw how important that spot can be when Lonnie Walker was a guy who was filling that sort of role as like a second side player where the ball swings to him and it's like spot up opportunity or attack and get downhill. And what I've seen of Lewis is a guy who seems to do those two things pretty well already. And I'm intrigued by that sort of talent and more positional size with like, oh, this dude's kind of big for like a guard or... And he's not bulky, right? Like I think strength, improving his strength is going to be something that that's going to need to happen. But I didn't knew nothing about mm -hmm. this kid coming in. And so I started to read up on him as much as I could. And he's an interesting prospect to me and someone who could end up having a career when you look at like what he's actually good at and how that fits into the NBA. Pete, if I can redirect the question to you, you know, you look at the highlights and you're like, Oh, you know, in the way that Darius might tweet something like, wow, this guy, he's, he's big, he's tall, like he can shoot. He's got some shake off the dribble. And then you're like, well, why is he available at 40? You know, if you're if you're like me and you don't watch a lot. So that's that's the way that I want to pitch the question to you, because I had heard some excitement about him. But then I'm also thinking, man, there's a lot of stuff that he does. So let me try to contextualize that a little bit, starting with he played at Pepperdine, which is a mid-major. And so. He was the dude on his team and in his league, like he definitely stood out and his NBA projection is as a shooter, right? And so this is important to understand within Darwin's offense in particular is the drivers are up top. Now you can have drivers in the corner and all that, but the basic idea is the drivers stop, start up top and the shooters are in the corner. And so he's somebody that in the NBA is going to fill one of those corner spots. But in college, he was the dude you gave the ball to. And so he's got this degree of handle. Like he's got a he's got this pullback dribble and has a lot of like hang dribble threes where he's kind of got the the defender with the jelly legs because he's not sure if he's going to drive. And he's enough of a threat to drive that you have to respect it. But he's going to pull it back and then just shoot the three over the top. And so. He got a lot of on-ball reps in college in these circumstances that I think are really going to serve him well. It also distorts his stats a little bit in that I think like 60% of his threes were not catch-and-shoot threes, but he shot like 44% when he did get catch-and-shoot type of looks. And so that's what he's going to be doing in the NBA. And so this idea of a guy that's going to knock him down, with he's tall with a high release point, going to knock them down and going to be able to attack a closeout and get all the way to the rim. If you overplay him high, he's a lob threat, right? He can backdoor cut and get to. The, and yeah. so the question is, why does a guy like that go at 40? And the answer, I think a lot is on the defensive end as that guy. And this happens at every level of basketball. The guy who is the dude on your team sometimes he's going to have some lapses defensively, right? And so there's a lot of that, like, 
you were not paying attention enough off of the ball or you weren't engaged enough on the ball. And so you, as a tall, lanky guy, he if you get upright, you're going to get beat off of the dribble on the way to the rack. And so he's going to be a guy to me where like the culture of the team is going to be super important that like somebody's going to have to be on him about those types of things. That said, I also think being the second round pick coming into the NBA is a much different thing than being clearly the most talented guy on the floor at Pepperdine. Uh, and that team wasn't very good either. And so kind of, I'm, I think I'm really excited about this one D like he's somebody that I think can fill a role in that's more defined and more, tailored to his skill set than what he was asked to do at the college level. Although I think that those college reps gives him a sort of on ball comfort. that's going to certainly come in handy. Well, also too, like we saw this with this reminds me of conversations we had about Stanley Johnson, for example, Mm -hmm. like when you get a bunch of on ball reps, then you're asked to make reads that players who never get those reps don't often have to make. And mm-hmm. so while your role scales down as you go to the higher levels of the game, because guys like LeBron James exist and there's five of those guys in the entire league. And guess what? If one of those guys is on your team, your role is automatically going going to be different. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that you still won't get those opportunities or on any given possession, you won't be put in a position where the instantaneous read and decision making button in your brain needs to get activated again because you're in the thick of it at that point. And guys who have those reps, they're able to do something with it that other guys may not. And so that's another part that intrigues me of just a player of this type. Everyone was the man at some point, but it's still hard to be the man even at like a division one college level. Oh, not everyone gets that opportunity. And this kid did. And he played fairly efficient basketball doing it, right? Like whether it's at the mid-major level or not. And he seems to have enough athletic chops where I'm just like, oh, that's what intrigues me even more. Like in some ways, it's the opposite of JHS, right? Like he plays such a controlled game. Mm -hmm. And while he can push the pace and he can play in a sped up environment while still looking like he's under control, he's not the guy who's going to like Scoot Henderson you and like get downhill and suddenly he's throwing the ball down over the top of like a big guy, Hood Shavino's more of the like, oh, I'm going to shoot the floater in the mid range or or look for the dump off pass or like string you out and then swing to the corner. He's that sort sort of player. This dude, Maxwell, he's like, oh, OK, like you gave me a step. I'm elevating and I'm going to try to finish at the cup. And that sort of athletic pop allows you also to like play at an NBA level, even if all the other skill set stuff isn't there. but his background implies that he does have some of that too. Yeah, absolutely. He's got he's got the tools and even defensively, right? He's got good length. He moves his feet well. It's one of just one of those can you sustain possession yeah. by possession and that's, you know, that's a the challenge for a lot of rookies, right? But Lakers come away with a, a strong draft class um and uh some two-way guys that I I know we're excited about who I think we'll get into more. Uh all right, this is fun. Uh we will be back next week. Everybody have a good weekend. But until then, you've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip 
to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Bad next to the winner. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. Let's go. Unbelievable. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. Add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.